is here. Yo, our mission is clear. It's time to change healthcare. Have no fear. Today is the day. This is the hour. Together, you know we've got the power. Drop the silos. We're all the same team. Patients, doctors, nurses, tech, and marketing. How can anyone be satisfied with the way things have always been? Yeah, we've tried. So join us now. Join the revolution. Digital health is the evolution. Status quo, more like status no. Yeah, this is the healthcare rap. Y'all come on, let's go. Welcome to the Healthcare Wrap, where we are ushering in the future of healthcare and the status quo no longer exists, where we are challenging assumptions about marketing and technology, and we check yesterday's thinking at the door, where truth drops like an atom bomb and knowledge flows like Niagara Falls. Each week, we challenge assumptions that have been holding back healthcare marketing and explain how we can do better. Join us. This is the Healthcare Wrap. So, ladies and gentlemen, it's time to break the status quo of how we break the status quo. We have with us one of those people out there who loves to break the status quo and change the way things have been doing and have been happening. And that person that we have on the program today is none other than Jay Akunzo, who's a well-known speaker, an author, a podcaster, and a former digital media strategist at Google. Jay, welcome to the program. Thanks, Jared. Appreciate it. So Jay, uh, we, your your recent book is called Break the Wheel, and as a lot of people know who who followed me on Twitter, this is one of my favorites from the last uh, several years. I've gotten a lot out of it, and uh, before we dive into that, let's get to know you a little bit as a person. Uh, tell us a little bit about Jay, the human being. What's useful for people to know about you? It was a snowy day back in 1985, and my <laughs> mom and dad would know. <laughs> as you can tell by that intro, didn't intend this to happen, but I love to tell stories, and I don't mean create case studies. Or, you know, I, I help marketers tell stories, but I sell SEO tools. No, I mean, there's a human protagonist, there's a conflict, something is at stake, and you, you really want to see what happens next. And I like taking this idea of story and applying it to business and career topics. Because I think, I think we all draw meaning from our work, but very rarely does something we're consuming, whether it's about our industry or about career in general, reflect back that meaning. Like usually the best case scenario for that content is it's smart. And even then, if it's a, say a podcast and it's smart, it's like sticking a textbook down your ear. You know, it's not, it's nutritious, but it's not nutritious and delicious. So, so the thing to know about me, I guess, is that in everything I do, you know, I give speeches, I write books. My first one came out last year and there's certainly another one on the way. And I create documentary series for brands. So video and audio series in everything. It's all about using story to help the creator feel certainly, but also the person receiving that work feel. Because I think when we feel stuff, and it could be pithy and funny, or it could be deep and meaningful, we become open to learning, we pay attention, we stick around. Certainly as marketers, we want that. It's not just one moment we're looking for from our audience. It's loyalty, it's ongoing trust. And way too often that kind of content just falls flat or misses the mark entirely. So I'm, I'm out to fix that, if you will. Well, we're, it sounds like we're out to fix that. We're out to find some meaning and we, we want to be nutritious and delicious. So we have a, we, we have a stacked program today. <laughs> I like that. So cool. Well, with that, you know, we're going to move right into our rap battle because this is where we really go to town. Rap battle. 
Rap Battle is our segment where we challenge assumptions that have been holding back healthcare and particularly in the marketing and technology aspects of healthcare, uh, which is uh, mo- you know most aspects of healthcare when it comes down to it. And so a lot of times it, it's things that, that affect the business aspect of healthcare being delivered to patients. And quite frankly, uh, we, we've seen just the outreach of marketing really hit everything that's happening in healthcare today. What that means is that the, the role of marketers has changed, as you know, Jay, and, and as part of that, you know, there's a lot of traps that we can, that we as marketers can kind of fall into. Let's just start there, you know, let's say, because we want to just challenge the thought of, you know, healthcare, you know, healthcare really is notorious for accepting the status quo and waiting until someone else has proven that something works, you know, and, and then copying them. So part of that is based on the fact that there's some science going on in healthcare. It's an evidence-based field, and yet that just makes it a dinosaur at times. And so one of the things that, that we've tried to challenge is the fact that healthcare is a dinosaur and that we ha- that we have to accept that. The fact is there are ways to change it and we have to start by by finding ways to accelerate to getting kind of back up to speed on things. And so, you know, maybe we start there in terms of uh, some common traps that marketers can fall into and, and how do you overcome them? What do you think? Well, I love that you use the word dinosaur because I know the implicit meaning in that phrase is, you know, big and plotting, right? Slow moving, big, bloating. But dinosaurs were all shapes and sizes. Some could fly, some were small and scrappy and fast, and some were great predators and others were great leaders of the family of the the herd. So I feel like that's a great jumping off point because I think we fall into this trap as marketers, and this is way beyond marketing, but I think it's cute in our world, where we believe that finding best practices is the goal, but it's not. Finding the best approach for you is. Right, so the goal isn't to cling to what somebody says worked or do whatever says uh, some guru says is the latest trend. The goal is to figure out a system, a process, a strategy, a tactic, a team that generates results and serves your audience in your specific situation. And way too often we try to abstract away those details. So back to the dinosaur thing, it's like let's abstract away the details of every other dinosaur and picture one amalgam of dinosaurs just big and slow and plotting, right? But actually, every unique dinosaur has something they can offer. So at the risk of turning this episode into a children's book here, we need to focus more on our unique context instead of the general advice or conventional wisdom in every decision we make, right? Not because we're trying to be rebels. We're not trying to just break from the status quo to break from it. We're trying to question the status quo to ensure that whatever we implement is actually effective in our situation, right? The time we live in, the team we have, the resources at our disposal, certainly the people we aim to serve being one of the most important variables in our context, that if I say something here on a microphone, I lack those variables, right? So you should question, no matter how smart I sound, I hope I sound smart, but no matter how good I make something sound, you should be like, well, is that actually true for me? Like every advice that you receive should have an implied in your mind, does this work in my shoes, right? It's not, oh, that sounds great. I'm going to run with that. Or, oh, somebody said that worked. Or, oh, we've been doing this for years. It's, does this work for me? And so, you know, we're going to talk about this a little bit, but Jared, that's where I want to leave us right now, because that's the backdrop through all the, the book stuff, everything we're going to talk about today. It's how do you make the best decisions at work, not in general or on average, because we don't operate in a generality, nor do we aspire to be average. How do you make the best decisions for your situation? Good point. Good point. And that really brings it home because I think that's one reason why best practices feel like a, a safe harbor. They feel like they're tried and tested. And so, you know, we don't have to think too much. We can, we can tell our boss, we can tell someone else, we can tell a colleague, yep, it works. Or at least it works somewhere else. So, you know, let's try it. It's got to work for us. And, you know, so the, the, the really important 
matter of business here is, you know, what would we name this dinosaur that is an amalgam of <laughs> healthcare? You know, is it a best practice asaurus or something? You know, we can come back to that. We, we can figure that part out. Uh, you know, we can figure that out along the way because, yeah, it does, it does paint a mental picture. And I, I like that because it gives it some life here. And healthcare marketing really Sometimes we, we do see it be uh, getting a little stale and, and so prescribed that we don't take the time to realize the innovation that could happen if we think more for ourselves. That a little bit in terms of like doing our own, you know, doing our best work. And you talk about that a lot in the book too. Well, what are some, you know, how do we get there in terms of doing our best work? Well, I think, I mean, that's our shared goal. We all want that. But that means something slightly different for everybody, right? It means, you know, you can, again, let's get out of the abstract. When we talk about healthcare marketing, what are we talking about? It's something different to everybody in some subtle way or some big way. You know, we talk about a business or a team. These are words we use as shorthand for the people doing the work. And that represents a huge variable in your work that doesn't exist when somebody gives you advice or didn't exist 10 years ago when that team or that version of your team did that work. So in order to do our best work, I think we have to first escape this endless cycle that we're in of glomming on the best practices or conventional wisdom or trendy new tactics. You know, all of these things masquerade as answers, but they're not. They're just possibilities. And then it's up to us to vet those possibilities in our specific context. So that is the first switch I'm asking people to make, is essentially to stop acting like experts who care about absolutes or theory, and start acting like investigators who ask really great questions in their specific shoots. Right? The, the hallmark of an investigator is they ask questions, they're curious, they're critical, they're open, and they use clues, first-hand clues, to inform the work. A very simple example that I'm sure everybody listening has heard before is talk to your audience. If you practice content marketing and you run a blog on behalf of, say, a hospital, and you never, ever talk to anybody who has subscribed to that blog, follows you on Twitter, or reads periodic articles, how can you do your work well? You're producing something for those people and you never interact with those people, right? There are subtle things that could change and really big things that could change and everything in between simply by having conversations with those people and making it part of your marching orders. You know, I came out of the software world where product managers and designers and some engineers routinely sit with and talk to and interview customers and users of the product. And their job is to own the problem those people are going through to then go back internally with all stakeholders and create a solution. So I think when we talk about doing our best work, how do we define that? I think we need to let the audience be the guide, right? Not our internal stakeholders, not our selfish goals. The audience we serve is the guide. And one major problem is we're not making decisions based on them. We're making decisions based on abstract theory. Like I said, best practices, conventional thinking, and trendy new tactics. So I want to get specific here in a bit, Jared, but I don't want to go on too long here. That's the first change we need to make. Stop acting like experts start acting like investigators. And I'm happy to talk about what that means. I'm a healthcare marketing leader. You see, I've got so many systems going on. You think I won the lottery. But our materials come from so many sources. When we try to innovate, it only forces me to shake my head. Instead, it's what I dread. It's like I said, I'm always fixing legal and brand and AP, y'all. Come on, can I consolidate? Is there a partner for me? Express Docs takes a load off your shoulders by creating a hub for all your marketing materials that's easy for your clinic managers, service line admins, and others to use. Just imagine a single workflow where all your direct mail postcards, rat cards, posters, business cards, flyers, brochures, patient handbooks, promotional products, and apparel are all in one spot. 
Well, that's Express Docs. Order today and have it tomorrow for most items. Visit bit.ly slash healthcare wrap three. That's bit.ly slash healthcare wrap and the number three today. Download a case study or request a demo to learn more and receive a free healthcare wrap stainless steel tumbler. That's right. Go to bit.ly slash healthcare wrap three for more about Express Docs. Tell your whole crew. So let's dive deeper a little bit and, and you know, let's kind of put that in the context of the, the phrase break the wheel, you know, that, that is the title of the book. Maybe we can put in that context and help uh, listeners understand kind of how a couple of these things kind of have to do, you know, so like what, what is that referring to? And, and, you know, how is it kind of an, an allegory for, for all the topics that you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's go through, maybe we can do it this way. So there's three barriers to making really good decisions in your context. So we can talk about those three barriers. And then there's like this two by three decision-making model in the book. And I'm happy to explain that. So I think that's the solution to how we normally make decisions. How does that sound? Perfect. Yep. Let's ride that train. Okay, cool. So the first way we commonly make decisions, you know, looking for best practices is we prioritize some kind of best practice that carries, carries weight in our minds. You know, we, we don't think we have the answers or we have the ideas. So we go seeking someone else's and that's never been easier. It's also never been more overwhelming because there's like infinite quote unquote right answers out there. And there's actually a psychological phenomenon that I uncovered researching for the book to explain this, it's called Pike Syndrome, which is essentially a feeling of powerlessness after repeated failure or stress. And it's named for this experiment where if you drop some minnows in a tank and there's a pike in that tank, that predator will eat the minnows right away. But you can condition that pike not to chase minnows by lowering in minnows surrounded by glass. And what happens is the pike starts smashing against the glass that it can't see and it keeps failing repeatedly. And if you do that long enough, you can remove the glass and the minnows can swim right in front of that pike and it won't budge. So this explains a concept called learned helplessness. And I really think we all suffer from a degree of learned helplessness in our work because, you know, from the moment we go to school and we're taught there's a right and a wrong answer, we start approaching our work, no matter how complex or creative that work is, with the same mentality. You know, I need to find the right answer here. I need to find the precedent, the best practice. And the, the problem is really the answer in every scenario at work is it depends. Even the harder sciences, like physics, there's some degree of, well, it depends. That's constantly evolving body of work or a body of knowledge, right? There is no infinite and final answer. And so if we embrace that, now it's not like we go and look for the answer out there. We have to come inward and think to ourselves, okay, I have learned this degree of helplessness. What if I instead started with my team, myself, and what we can bring to the work? Because we're the biggest variable that all the stuff out there hasn't considered when they say, well, you should do marketing this way. So that's the first reason we make decisions. We prioritize the best practice that carries weight in our minds as a result of Pike syndrome. Nice. The second, the second's called the foraging choice. And this is a decision between exploiting your current position and exploring other possibilities. So as, as a foraging squirrel might do in a tree, you're like, do I stay here and try to squeeze more value out of what I've been doing? Or do I take to the field and try to get to the next trait? And that can be dangerous both for the squirrel and, and for us, right? It's the known versus the unknown. And this comes out of NYU. There was a study in 2018 done to, to show that a lot of our workplace decisions resemble a foraging animal. And we make decisions in this case when we're nervous. If you introduce stress or a, an ambitious goal, let's say a number you have to hit to your system, whether that system is you as an individual or your team, all of a sudden the default setting is to cling to where you're at and keep exploiting, even while you face diminishing returns. 
right? And the solution here is instead of looking at where you're at and being like, this is what we've done in the past or what someone else did in the past, let's keep beating it to death. You let the customer, or in this case, if your marketer is the audience, become the guide. You start looking for insights and ideas, not data, but insights from that data or insights from the conversations you have with your audience. And you use those things to inform your decisions. You know, I liken this to, you know, if you had blinders on to your industry, you could still do really great work as long as you're continually informing your work with your specific audience because they're your guide. So that's the second problem, the second reason we make bad decisions and hopefully a solution. And the third and final, which is the most hidden and probably toughest to get over is called cultural fluency, which is another psychological phenomenon. This is when your behavior unfolds according to the expected norm. So basically, if things are routine, if they're, we're doing it this way because that's how we do things around here, you snap into a mindless rut. You know, I think as simple as crossing to the street on the other side on your way to work can break you from mindlessness, but introducing some kind of discomfort, even a little bit, like an open-ended question, like why are we doing it this way? Or a new idea or a new teammate. Introducing some level of discomfort, however small, snaps you out of mindlessness and forces you to actually see cultural fluency for what it is, which is this herd mentality of doing things because I don't know, that's what we do. And there's actually something you can do proactively that I talk about in the book to snap out of that mindlessness. And it's called a trigger question. That's just an open-ended question. I mentioned why being one of them. Another open-ended question I like to ask is, what is our aspirational anchor? You know, what do we aspire to do as a team? You can't answer these questions by Googling it or going to a playbook. You have to look at either yourselves and your customers, your audience, and do some reflecting or run some tests and learn firsthand the scientific method. And so cultural fluency is the third barrier to making good decisions. We're mindless. To become more mindful and proactive, we can ask open-ended questions and again, act like investigators. That's awesome. I, I love the thought because uh, you know in the book, you really go into detail, especially about the aspirational anchor. That was one thing I, I really... Uh, latched onto and, and just thought, man, yeah, I've never put my work in those terms before. So really great stuff. Everybody wants their content to work, but if you're not careful, it'll drive you berserk. You need the right partner, but where to begin? Use True North Custom, that's how you win. In healthcare content marketing, gotta try something new because innovation is king. True North Custom, they're the bomb. Check it at truenorthcustom.com. Hey, we have a new exclusive giveaway from our partners, True North Custom. We're giving a branded infographic to healthcare app listeners. This is a $1,500 value. This digital asset can be used to promote key service lines as well as provide your communities with engaging health and wellness information. It can be shared via your blog, social media, and other channels. Visit bit.ly slash healthcare wrap two today. That's bit.ly slash healthcare wrap and the number two to select your free infographic from the True North Custom Library. It's time for you to spread the awesome. Remember bit.ly slash healthcare wrap and the number two, tell your whole crew. Why don't you kind of sum this up and I'll, I'll throw an open-ended question to you, you know, just to see what would be your number one tip for healthcare marketers? So the reason I pause there is because now I'm looking at the, the anti-message of my book, right? Which is taking one bit of advice from anybody and running with it. It never makes sense, right? So I would say ask better questions, stop obsessing over everybody else's answers and hone your intuition really, which is a skill that involves open-ended questions. I go into the science of intuition and decision-making in the book, but the punchline here is if you stop obsessing over everybody else's answers and start asking yourselves really great questions, you set up a decision-making filter to find clarity. 
you know, any idea you have or past precedent your organization has or the industry has, it first has to go through that filter to make sense for you. You know, that's the goal. I want everybody here to do work that makes sense for them in their careers, but also in their, in their organizations uh, and on their teams. And so me saying, do this fundamentally flies in the face of that. But if you walk away from the book with the methodology, which is a list of questions, you will do work in a certain way that your direct competitor or peers will look at and be like, that makes no sense for me, right? So how do we make better decisions? We have to ask better questions first. Very good, very good. What are you excited about in 2019? I just kind of want to throw this out there. You know, what's uh, what's getting you excited here? Just give you a chance to talk about kind of what you're working on right now. Yeah, so I'm right now I'm, I'm on uh, sort of two tours, so to speak. So one is I'm, I'm traveling to speak and talk about the lessons of my book. So a big part of my business is public speaking. And the other is I'm starting to make uh, both audio and documentary series for some clients I'm pretty excited about. So people that believe you know, what I believe, I think that's the dream is like, you want to align your work with people that believe what you believe first, like fundamentally, then if you have disagreements, it's more of a superficial disagreement. It's like, okay, how do you execute on your beliefs? I think a lot of unhappiness in career comes from the fact that you're trying to make a situation work that you're unhappy with or frustrated with. And the reason you're frustrated isn't that the execution is off. It's that if you go all the way back to first principles, the belief system of the decision makers around you is out of whack with yours, out of line with yours. So I'm really just, I'm really excited the fact that I feel like I've found tribe. You know, I feel like I've found people that believe in the lessons of the book. And so I can now give speeches to those people and I can also work with them to create larger original series. That's amazing. I love that feeling when you're, when you really feel like you found that tribe. That's a, that's fantastic. And especially given the, the types of thoughts that you put out there with the book and with your podcast and, and everything else. So glad to hear that it's getting so much traction and that so many, uh, so many out there are recognizing the value in it. And, and like you said, it's different for everybody, but uh, I love that thought of just how you've approached everything. So at the end of our wrap battle, we usually said, Hey, we killed that. And uh, today is no different. That was perfect. That was a great way just to challenge pretty much every assumption that we've been working under uh, in healthcare marketing for for the longest time. So uh, with that, we're going to move into our closing segment called Shout Out. Shout Out. Shout Out is where we just recognize a person, place, thing, an idea, a blog post, a food, anything. Something that's really just caused us to think a little bit differently or just, you know, turned our head for a second, just that, hmm, that's interesting. Or, hmm, that's yummy. You know, it, it could be one of those. And today's, uh, for me, it was. It happened to be, uh, there was a, a sketch from James Corden, you know, the late night host uh, recently. And so I'll do this one real quick. And then, Jay, if you want to feel free, you don't have to. I don't put pressure on anybody to. But yeah, if you've got a shout out uh, you want to share as well. Yeah, we'll do that too. This one uh, kind of came from, yeah, a sketch from James Corden just recently. I don't know how old it was. I think it was just in the last week or two. Uh, but he went to, I guess he went to space camp with, uh, it was Chris Pratt, Elizabeth Banks, and someone else. And they were in the, you know, ridiculous looking like astronaut suits and stuff. And they were kind of doing all the things. There's a, like a 3D chair that spins you in three different directions and, you know, tries to make you throw up and stuff. And, and all it made me think about was when I was 12, I actually went to space camp there in, in Huntsville, Alabama too. And I'm like, man, like to me, that represented everything about like dreaming big as a kid. All my friends fully expected me to be an astronaut. Like, and you know, we, we grew up in, in Houston and, and uh, you know, mission control was like right down the road and, and people like, 
Jared, like he, you're going to be working there. You're going to be an astronaut. I'm like, yeah, that'd be awesome. <laughs> you know, and so that was kind of the culmination of it. So my shout out today is to NASA for giving us dreams uh, when we were kids. So that's as simple and, and as silly as these things can get. But, you know, in all truth, like that's what it made me think of. And I'm like, you know, hey, here, here's to, uh, you know, dreaming big. Hey, why not? That's awesome. I love that. Mine... That's really interesting. My, I feel like I'm right now, all year long, I'm exploring the same topic. So if Break the Wheel is about putting a system in place to make better decisions. So starting with questioning best practices, but also your own assumptions. You know, if we're making better decisions, that's not one moment in time. That's the whole system we're putting in place. So what, I, what I'm worried about is people will walk away thinking about the stunt or the shortcut or the thing they're supposed to do. I don't think the book, if you read it fully, is going to misinterpret, be misinterpreted that way. But I'm still like, okay, if we break from conventional thinking, what's next? And what's next is consistent creativity. You know, again, not being a rebel, not just rejecting what's worked before, but consistently finding new and better ways to serve our audience so that they stick around over time. You know, that the emotion we feel is high is, is important, but also the emotion they feel. So that perfect Venn diagram overlap of our investment in the work and theirs. And how do you do that? I think the only way to do that is consistently deliver great work, keep exceeding their expectations and yours. And so how does that work? I have no idea. So I'm going to explore that. And so what I've uncovered are just this huge list of companies and projects that, that are doing that and are doing it really, really well. And I'm, I want to shout out two. So the first is a newsletter called The Hustle, which is about uh, the technology business. So if you're interested at all in, in technology and where it's heading and those companies that are leading the way, The Hustle is a daily, I think they might have a weekly roundup of news, but it's written in such an amazing tone of voice. And it's so creatively segmented. So I love that because they take what's pretty saturated, a newsletter and also technology journalism, and they do it in a refreshing way. So I love that idea of a refreshing something where you throw your hands up and you're like, that is how everyone should do this thing. So the hustle is certainly an example of that. And today, this morning, I had the good fortune to talk to the founder of this company, and I'm, I'm excited to dig into it more. It's called Museum Hack. So it's in several cities, but they, they produce more entertaining, more enjoyable museum tours. You know, because like museums are wildly important to our culture and our society today. But in the, the fast media world, you know, social media and the feeds and all that, it's sort of getting lost. You know, that's like slow media. It's you go, you wander around, you read little placards, you experience it. But I think it's, it's super important that we keep in touch with the history of our world and the things that are worth preserving in a museum. The problem is, let's face it, museums are boring as sin, right? And so this is a company, Museum Hack, that's looking to reinvigorate people's interest in museums by first making a you know, more refreshing, there's that word again, refreshing museum tour. So I'll shout out those two organizations, those two companies, The Hustle and Museum Hack. Very nice. I'm, I'm dying to see if Museum Hack is, a, is here in Phoenix. So I'm going to check that out. But uh, that, I love that, that thought because, uh, yeah, I fall into that, that trap of interested, but don't feel like I have time and it seems a little boring. So, but would be interested if there's a better way to do it. So, hey, very cool. Well, Jay, man, uh, thanks so much for your time today. Uh, I've loved these thoughts. Uh, I, I know it's going to spark ideas and other things uh, with our listeners, and they're going to want to get a hold of you, and, and they'll have questions for you. What's the best way for listeners to reach you? So you can go to my website, jayconzo.com slash book, and there's more information about the book and some behind-the-scenes projects I want to share publicly. But then there's also my email, j at unthinkablemedia.com. 
Fantastic. Well, it's been a pleasure. And like I said, looking forward to uh, keeping in touch there and definitely let us know as these other projects of yours facilitate and as they kind of materialize and, and let us know how we can help us spread the good word there. But uh, in the meantime, uh, listeners, thanks for listening and tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed this segment. If you like more, if you want to hear more from Jay Akunzo and, and, and people like him, uh, let us know and we'll we'll do our best to facilitate that. But uh, thanks again for tuning in. And, and uh, on behalf of Jay and myself, thanks. And that's a wrap. <laughs>